our text this morning is going to be verse 9. But uh, I looked at the verses before it, verse or two after, and it's a great passage. So I'm going to read Proverbs 17, verses 1 through 11. And uh, boy, Proverbs are such a blessing. So they, they head home. And there's so much, so many things that this, this symbol, verses I'm reading, are, they hit. So let God's Word speak to you, whether or not it's verse 9 right now or not. Let's just read and follow along as I read. Proverbs 17, verses 1 through 11. The Bible says, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than an house full of sacrifices with strife. A wise servant shall have rule over a son that causeth shame and shall have part of the inheritance among the brethren. The fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Excellent speech becometh not a fool, Much less do lying lips a prince. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. Whithersoever it turneth it, it prospereth. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than an hundred stripes into a fool. An evil man... Seeketh only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent against him. May God bless his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity we have to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship you and to sing praises to your name, to glorify you through giving and fellowship, and then, Father, to sit under your word. I pray that you would speak to us today and build up, edify, challenge, save the lost, all the things that you do through your word being preached. Have your way in our hearts as we continue the worship, as we want to magnify your name together. Bless those that are still on their way. And Father, open our eyes and our minds to your word so that we might glorify you more. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good to have you today. Thank you for being here. If you have your Bible, let's open up to that text that we read. Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. We believe that God speaks through His Word. And uh, we approach the Bible differently than some people do, than some religions do. Uh, We approach the Bible from the perspective that it is revelation. That God has made Himself known to man. That He has revealed His way uh, through the Scriptures. And we mentioned this morning in our Bible study as we talk about how do you study your Bible, how do you, how do you get understanding from it, 
that David, in Psalm 119 and verse 128, he said, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Now, we mentioned this morning, and I want to say it again, think about that statement from David. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Do you think that David had an exhaustive knowledge of everything God said? Because he said, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. See, David, that's what we call a presupposition. You know what that is? That means you and I go into something we presuppose. And this is not this is not based on, you know, some foolish jump in the dark. This is based on evidence. We understand that God has revealed himself through the scriptures, through his son Jesus Christ, who died, buried for our sins and rose again on the third day, uh, the living word, and then the written word. So like David, even before he knew some of the things that God would say, he believed that God spoke and that everything God said was right. He esteemed all his precepts concerning all things to be right. And so we believe that God has spoken to us in a knowable, understandable, comprehensible way so that we're going to answer for that. Remember what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day? He said, ye do err not knowing the scriptures. Ignorance of God's word will not be an excuse because he has communicated. And because of that, sometimes there appears to be contradictions in the Bible. You read one thing and then somewhere else you read it and on the surface it may sound like it, it contradicts um, And those who do not consider Scripture to be revelation from God, uh, they they have glee when they hear when they come across a seeming contradiction in the Bible. They are tickled pink. They just are so excited because you know that means they don't have to answer to God. That means God hasn't made Himself known, and they won't stand before Him. And they, it's really inconvenient to believe that you're going to answer to God someday. And it's much better, as so many have embraced, as well, you know, if I just don't believe that God has spoken and there's no way I can understand it, then, then I'm not answerable, right? Sadly, you and I are going to answer again. Jesus said, you do err because you don't know the Scriptures. So what we want to do, because as believers, as people that approach the Bible as if it is God's Word, we're convinced of it. He's spoken through His Word because of that. When we come across one of those apparent contradictions, we know God's word doesn't contradict itself. And so there must be an answer to it. And by the way, that's how we dig into deeper truth. That's how we learn more scripture. Because the problem isn't with God or his word. The problem is with us, our limited understanding. Sometimes we'll read a passage and we'll, we'll misunderstand what's being said. We won't understand the context. But every time there is an apparent contradiction, mark it. That's an opportunity for you to learn more about God's Word. We're going to approach a topic today 
that is one of those things. And it has to do with sin. And it has to do with covering our sin. Sometimes the Bible talks about covering sin as a good thing. Sometimes the Bible talks about covering sin as a bad thing. For example, Proverbs says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And then on the other hand, another proverb says, Hatred stirreth up strife, love covereth all sin. So wait a minute, what do we do? Are we supposed to cover sin? Or are we supposed to you know, confess it and, and expose it, bring it out? What are we supposed to do? Is there a contradiction in the Bible? Absolutely not. So we have an opportunity for us to learn. And uh, so the title of the message today is Covering Sin, Compromise or Compassion. Or it could be the other way around. Covering Sin, Compassion or Compromise. What is it? Well, let's look at some of these texts and we are going to see uh, what the Bible says about the idea of covering sin. I want to know. You know, I want to know what in what situations. Are there times when I'm supposed to cover sin and times I'm not supposed to? What's the difference? What's it mean? Does the Bible contradict itself? Let's jump in. Let me give you the outline, then we'll pray again just for the message. Uh, three points we're going to look at this morning. Covered sin and the Old Testament. There's an interesting doctrine in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, that specifically uh, has been referred to as uh, that God covers our sin. The word atonement. And we're going to look at that. Number two, covered sin and God's holiness. When it comes to you and I and our sin, God's very specific. If you and I hide our sin, if you and I refuse to come to the light, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, Uh, and there's many people that will not come to the light about their sin. In fact, to even mention to some people that they are sinners is an incredible offense. What, me? A sinner? How could you say that? And those people need to understand what the Bible says about covering sin. And then thirdly, Covered sin and the Christian. So let's jump in. And um, in fact, where did I have you go? I had you go to uh, Proverbs 17. So we might as well just look at that. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth, uh, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. So clearly there is a time, there are times, when covering a sin is the loving thing to do. Right? I mean, would you admit that's what it says? But when when are those times? Now, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. Going back to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And if you're going to talk about covered sin, you have to talk about atonement. It's a term the Bible uses many times. Maybe some of you are not familiar with it. I hope you become very familiar with it because the Bible and the Old Testament atonement is it's critical that you understand what is being taught because it has everything to do 
with your relationship to God. So look at Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11. The Bible says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Blood makes atonement for our soul. What is he talking about? The word atonement uh, goes all the way back to, to a 1526 English translation by William Tyndale. Uh, the English language was new. Uh, they had never had an entire Bible translated into English from the original languages. There were some William, uh, Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, had given us a translation in English, but it was from the Latin Vulgate. There were some other translations that were parts of the Scripture. Never had anyone given us an entire English Bible translated from the original languages. Tyndale was the first to start that project, and then his disciples, Coverdale, Matthew's Bible, they came after that to finish it because he was martyred before he could finish it. But he's the one that came to this word in the Scriptures, that he would, he needed a word. Uh, it, it, the word from the Hebrew had the idea of to be reconciled to God. You've got two parties that are not on the same page, two parties that are strongly opposing one another, and to reconcile them, to bring them together, he needed a word, and he chose, he, he made up the word. And you can do that when you translate scriptures and your language is brand new. So he came up with the word atonement, at one mint. So you're making two and you're making them one. And it was his term to describe reconciliation, specifically referring to mankind and God. Do you realize that when we start off in life, we are not right with God? We're not. We are born in trespasses and sins. Whenever you hear someone say, if you, if you share the gospel, if you ever hear someone say, oh, I've always been good with God. Has God always been good with you? <laughs> no. You see, folks, that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. When you're born the first time, you and I are born alienated from God. Ephesians 5, it talks about being enemies with God. And so you and I, are we don't start off right. We're not, nobody is born a Christian. And by the way, infant baptism is not how someone becomes a Christian. It is being born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, you and I are not right to start with. There needs to be, we need to be reconciled to God. And the way that is done is through the atonement. In the, the definition of atonement is the condition of being at one with others. To um, the unity of feeling, harmony, concord, agreement, it is the settling of differences. Now, I want you to take your Bibles now and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In the Old Testament, without going into great, great detail... God established the sacrificial system. And he did it as a picture 
of what he was going to do down the road. And it was, it was how God was going to settle the problem of mankind's alienation from him. In other words, people were born, people were not born right with God, people were born enemies of God, and he had to, you know, he had to provide a way because sin had separated us from God, from everyone. Old Testament people, from the beginning, sin separated since Adam and Eve. And now, through the shedding of blood, in fact, as Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So how do you get right with God? Well, it had everything to do with the shedding of blood. And early on, God established an animal sacrificial system. And for, for many years, the people of Israel and all the strangers that wanted to worship Jehovah God came through their sacrificial system. God set it up. Anybody could come to God, but you had to do it through the shed blood and specifically the way God set it up. By the way, there's no difference today in, in that anybody that wants to come to God can. But they have to come through the shed blood the way God set it up. And, of course, the fulfillment of that we'll talk about in a minute. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 and following. For the law, Old Testament law, not just the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, but also all the Old Testament sacrificial system, the, the offering of blood, the year of atonement. There were all kinds of requirements of, of bringing different animals without blemish and sacrificing them, goats, lambs, turtle doves. And it says the law, having a shadow of good things to come. That's key. The law was not useless. The law was not a waste of time. It was a shadow of good things to come. But it was limited. Look. The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereon too perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. See they had something in Israel called the day of atonement. And on that high holy day Once a year, the priest would enter into the holiest of holies. He could not go there any other time or he'd be struck dead. And God was establishing and drilling into their minds, He is a holy God. And the people, anyone that wants to follow Him, has to take sin seriously. Some people, they won't take sin seriously. And so that once a year, the priest would bring the shed blood of, a, of an animal, animal without spot or blemish, he would go in and he would offer it on the sacrifice. The priest, the, the high priest, only one person could go in there. And he would offer the blood on behalf of all the people of Israel. So when that priest went in and offered the blood sacrifice, it didn't just forgive his sins, it forgave, forgave all the people of Israel. So all their sin for the previous year was covered. So here's the nature of the atonement. Yes, they were reconciled to God. But as far as the sin, the the blood that they brought, it could never really take away sins because it had to be done annually. 
So imagine this, year after year, decade after decade, they would have the Day of Atonement. And I imagine on that day, later in the day, and the next day, it must have, must have felt pretty good to have your sins cleansed. Whew, talk about a fresh slate. You know, every Jew, when they went in on the Day of Atonement, or when the priests went in, their sins would be, all their sins were covered. But then they had to do it again the next year. And that's, John, uh, that's the writer of Hebrews' point here. They cannot make the comers thereunto perfect, or they just do it one year and it'd be done. All done. I'm right with God forever. No. Unless you stop sinning. Any chance any of the Israelites stop sinning? Any chance we stop sinning after we get saved? No. No. So they had to do it every year. Verse 3, in those sacrifices there is a remembrance made uh, again made of sins every year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. So there was, and I want to read to you from one theological book that really communicates it so clear. There was no sufficient and worthy basis for the remission of sins in the past ages, based on the text I just read. God had remitted sins, the sins of those who had lived in the past, prior to Christ, based on the promise of a worthy atonement. In the meantime, God instituted a type of that coming atonement. So you see, let me just read. The old system was called atonement because seeing the faith of the participant, God forgave their sins on promise of a future payment. By the forbearance of God, their sins were atoned. Remember that word has to be reconciled to God. They were atoned until the promised lamb could provide the the eternal atonement based upon better blood. By his death, Christ justified God in the remission of those past sins. So in the New Testament, when Jesus Christ came, there's a link between the old covenant and the, the, the fulfillment of the new covenant with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in Romans 3.25. Of Jesus, God sent forth to be a propitiation, satisfied God's holiness through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this, this time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So, let's go back to all those Old Testament sacrifices. Every year, they'd have the Day of Atonement and other sacrifices. None of them could completely, really take away sin. But God could, would look on that, and everyone that, that brought that offering, that, that through the priest believed in the shed blood, God reconciled them Because he knew this was just a type of what he would do when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. So Jesus would come. And because God foresaw it, he could forgive those Old Testament saints in the same way he forgives us. Now Jesus hadn't died yet, hadn't shed his blood, but they would be reconciled to God based on that. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. So what the, the, the way Old Testament sacrifice is often referred to is it would not take away sins, it would cover sins. So every year, their sins would be covered. And again, 
You know, we talk about New Year's resolutions. I imagine to the Jew and those that came through the, the Jewish sacrificial system through Yahweh, I imagine that, that um, the day after the atonement must have been a pretty feel, good feeling day. Like, wow, man, all those past sins are gone. Kind of like when you, you know, you make a New Year's resolution or whatever, and then you blow it. You know, day two, day three. It's like, oh, man, I can't wait till next year. Got to get that covered. And there was, again, there was a consciousness of sin. That's the way we are. But folks, there's something different, something very different about what Jesus Christ did. When he shed his blood, it's not just covering our sins, folks. It is removing our sins. There's a story, I love this story of uh, around Civil War times, Ulysses S. Grant um, became president and in, uh, in the 1860s, he gave a, a, a cigar. Now, I'm not, I'm not promoting smoking cigars, okay? But you'll hear the story. Uh, he gave a cigar to Horace Norton, who was a philanthropist and the founder of Norton College. And um, because, of, of pre- because of Horace Norton's respect for Ulysses S. Grant, he never smoked the cigar. He passed it on to his son. And can you imagine that, you know, as years go by after Ulysses S. Grant dies, here's a cigar that came from Ulysses S. Grant. And then his son passed it on to the next son. So many years later, in 1932, Horace Norton's grandson chose to light the cigar ceremonially while he was giving a speech at the... um, the 70th, the college's 70th anniversary celebration. So he's sitting there waxing eloquent about Ulysses S. Grant, takes out the cigar and lights it. And while he's talking to all this crowd, all of a sudden, boom! It was one of those fake cigars, or you know, the cigars that had an explosion. <laughs> I love that. What a surprise that must have been! And, and but what a, what a, you know what a testament to Ulysses Ulysses S Grant's humor. But somebody worded this one. I love this picture here. The true nature of that cigar wasn't experienced by Horace Norton. That's who it was intended for. Uh, it wasn't experienced by Horace Norton's son, but it was finally experienced by his son. Um, the true power, and here's the, the the correlation here. The true power of the atonement or the sacrifice wasn't demonstrated in those early sacrifices. It was just a shell that was passed down from generation to generation. Speaking about the Old Testament, atonement. There was, there was no power in it. It was passed down. Finally, in G- the New Testament after Jesus died, the sacrificial system demonstrated its power when Jesus died on Calvary's cross. And so... You know, again, just like that cigar, you know, there was power in it. And there was power in those sacrifices only because of what Jesus Christ would do. Now, I want to ask you something. Because the atonement, and that's the term that's used in the New Testament to refer to being reconciled to God. Have you experienced the atonement through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Have you been reconciled to God? Now, if, if someone came up to you just off the street and said, are you right with God? If you, would, if you would respond honestly and say, I've always been right with God. I want to challenge you to think about that. 
Because nobody has always been right with God. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. And it is so important that you understand that you need to be reconciled. All is not right in your world with God because you were born in trespasses and sins. And by the way, no amount of religious deeds, no amount of goodness on your part, no amount of philanthropic deeds and good, do, good deeds and good works can make you right with God. Only the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. He's the one that accomplished the atonement. So you want to be at one with God? You've got to go back to Calvary. You've got to put aside all your trust and all your good works and all your religious deeds. You have to trust in Him alone. And your sins will be more than covered. They will be forgiven. Now, let's go to Proverbs chapter 28. So, again, now, hopefully, if you're a believer, not hopefully, if you're a believer, your sins are more than covered. Psalm 103 and verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. So we're not talking about covering sin, hiding it. We're talking about dealing with it and removing it. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. Keep keep going to Proverbs 28. But Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12 says, God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And then that's repeated in chapter 10. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. That's what I need. That's what I need. We're not talking about covering our sin. And by the way, a person does not get saved until he first confesses, acknowledges his sin. So have you ever acknowledged to God that you are a sinner? Again, so many people, they're they're so self-righteous. Me? Sin? Sin is such a strong word. told you about the guy, I've said this many times. When we first started the church, there was a guy early on where... I quoted from the Psalms, which was David, but he didn't know that. And it was, David said, I am a worm. And I quoted that. And I said, we are worms. And he was very offended by that. I am not a worm. Well, according, based on your sin in God's eyes, and he didn't know at that time. I, you know, I'm not talking about myself. I mean, I'm quoting scripture. This was David who said that. But see, that idea that you and I are unworthy before a holy God, is repudiated by people. They're like, I don't need anything to be covered. I'm doing just fine as I am. Those people need a big dose of humbling because we are not fine as we are. We are sinners that need to have our sin dealt with. The only way? The atonement of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Now, look at Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Now, what about us with our sin? The Bible says in verse 13, He that covereth his sin, to conceal it, to hide it, shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So now, once you are born again, or the Bible term is is also saved. Once you are saved, your sin has been dealt with. Forever. Romans 8 verse 1. To born again believers it says. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Not everybody can claim that. But once you and I have our sin dealt with on Calvary, and we respond by faith and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His our sins and our iniquities He will remember no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Even better than the Old Testament atonement, because they got to do it every year. But just like the Old Testament atonement, they still sinned. And we still sin. So we don't need to get forgiveness multiple times. Praise God. When you and I get saved, He, he gives us eternal life. He cleanses us from all sin. He writes our name in the book of life. And so as far as God's standing, when you became born again, you became right with God. So what about sin? Well, you still sin. Do we pretend it's not there? No, we have to acknowledge it. That's what Romans or First Corinthians, First John chapter, First John one nine. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to walk daily, acknowledging that we are sinners and and owning up to it. And so that's the idea of Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, and that word has the idea of to agree with God. When you confess sins, you are agreeing with what God says. So instead of justifying yourself or making excuses, remember Adam? Not my fault, the woman you gave me did it. Remember that? When we confess, we're coming, we're, we're coming clean. I did it. I'm guilty. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth in them and, shall, and forsake them shall have mercy. So I want to ask you something. Are we supposed to, like this whole idea of coming clean and confessing our sin, how exactly do you apply that? And, and, and does that mean that we need to confess every fault we have? Maybe we all need to have YouTube channels. And every morning we need to get on YouTube and say, all right, here's, here was my sin from yesterday. You know, and just let the whole world know every time we make a mistake, every time we do wrong. Is that what it's saying? You're confessing your sin? No. Well, it's not saying that. But we want to talk about that. I mean, the Bible does say in 1 Timothy 5.20, Them that sin rebuke before all. But you and I better be very careful we keep that verse in context. There are some people that see it their mission to loudly renounce everything that everyone else does wrong. And they see no fault in themselves. That's a problem, isn't it? You know, when they're doing that. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort. That means we, we, we can't ignore sin. We need to rebuke it at proper times. So I want to give you this help here. Hope, hope it's help. Sin is very, very serious. And we need to take it serious. But you and I also need to respond very carefully and very wisely as far as this whole idea of confession. There are examples in the Scriptures. For example, in, um, in Joshua chapter 7. You don't need to turn there. But God was dealing with Israel, and many times God would deal with Israel corporately. 
and not this was not really individually. He dealt with them corporately, and corporately he told them, I'm going to give you the promised land, and he led them every step of the way. He owned all the he owns the whole world, and the Canaanites, whom he originally gave the land, had so defiled it by their wickedness and rebellion and, and violence that God took it away from them and was giving it to Israel. And so they were going to go in, and God instructed them. In each city they were going to go, he gave them some instructions. And when it came to Jericho, remember that? The walls of Jericho? God gave instructions through the leaders that when they went in there, Jericho was going to be a unique city, different than all the others. And because it was their first city that they were going to conquer, everything that they conquered was to be given to God. It was, you know, some later on he would say, okay, I'm going to provide for you when you conquer this land because they have offended me. Their possessions are going to be a, su- a supply for you. And God said it was okay. He's the one that can do that. But when it came to Jericho, he said, everything in there is consecrated unto me. Don't you take it for yourself. And they had a corporate responsibility. And so one of the soldiers... Some obscure guy that nobody heard of until then went into a tent and he saw some goodly Babylonian garments. He was enticed by the clothing, some of the possessions, and he looked and he remembered that command. All right, none of this stuff is ours. We've got to give it all to the Lord. And a thought came to his mind. Oh, look at that. Look at that fine robe. And that would look good on me. Whoa, look at the jewelry. My wife would love that. No, the, the scheme was planted. And he thought, you know what? Nobody's here. I'm in a closed tent. Nobody's going to see it. What would it hurt if I just took a few of these garments and a little bit of the jewelry and brought them home? Nobody will be the wiser. Oh, really? So he covered his sin. But guess what? There's no such thing as covered sin in God's book. And by the way, as I, when I finish this story, please understand, this is not how God deals with everyone who takes something. And it's a good thing. Okay? It's a good thing. So what happened? Well, they went and did the next battle. And because of Achan's secret sin... God would not give them the victory at a city, a small city named Ai, that should have been a sure win. In fact, they lost seven soldiers. Or maybe it was 35. It might have been 35. They lost you know, some people, which should have been an instant victory. And Joshua was devastated. He's like, why has this happened? Lord, I thought you gave us this land. You're the one that's leading. And God said, there's sin in the camp. Somebody did something that contaminated your whole body corporately, so I can't bless you. And by the way, now let's fast forward. Sometimes in the New Testament, someone's individual sin can affect the whole body of a church. Understand that. But praise the Lord, the Lord doesn't deal with everyone the way he dealt with Achan. And praise the Lord, the Lord doesn't deal with every liar like he dealt with Ananias and Sapphira. Can you imagine if God... God killed them because they lied to the Holy Spirit at a very unique time when the church was just starting. Can you imagine if God killed every liar? Uh, Guess what, folks? I wouldn't have anyone to preach to. 
Guess what, folks? You wouldn't have anyone preaching to you, right? I mean, we're, we're, understand that. So sin is serious. Sin is very serious, and we need to take it seriously. But we also need to be very careful. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. But what does that mean? What does that mean? When it comes to confession, so understand this. Covering our sin is what God did when He sent Jesus Christ to shed His blood. And so that's the proper context of having our sins covered, in fact, having our sins taken away. When it comes to our own sin, we need to confess them. And how do you do that? You know what, this is gonna, I just realized we have like five minutes left, four minutes left. Three minutes left, Talala? Two minutes left, give or take? Okay. Three minutes, okay. And I'm, I want to keep on time, so we're going to do a part two. Uh, because here's, there's still two more aspects of this. There are instances in our lives where we need to cover sin and hide sin. Not our own. We need to confess it. And by the way, there's a proper way to confess it. Some confession can be inappropriate. And I'll go into it more next week. I've heard, I remember reading about a revival in the past. When God brings revival, one of the first things he does is he convicts people of their sin. uh, And there's a lot of confession going on. And it can be a blessed time. But I've also read stories where, uh, you know, God would be working in a church and everybody would be convicted of their sins. And then they'd all stand up and start confessing indiscriminately. You know, the Bible says it's a shame to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. You know, there are some things that ought not to be confessed publicly that could defile another believer just by by confessing it. And so you and I need to be very careful and discreet when it comes to confessing. And we're going to see this next week. But the circle of influence with our offense will determine the circle of our confession. In other words, there are some sins that are done privately that simply need to be confessed privately. And it would be inappropriate to confess them publicly. Uh, And we'll, we'll go into more of that because there's scripture with this and all. So when it comes to our own sin... We need to confess it. And and to the degree of confessing is what we'll talk about. Now, when it comes to other people's sin, again, them that sin, rebuke before all, don't you dare take that as a blanket statement. Because there are, the whole idea of love covers a multitude of sins, we're going to look at that next week. There are many opportunities in many places, folks, where the, the choice of love is to cover or not make a big deal about someone's sins. In fact, folks, the, the New Testament church thrives when we overlook one another's weaknesses and faults. You know that? Every once in a while, someone will come along and have a real problem with someone else. And they'll blow it out of proportion a million different ways. And if we don't all take up that person's offense and blow it out of proportion, then we're compromising in their mind. Wait a minute. How would you want people to deal with you? Assuming you're a sinner. I know some of you are not, right? 
How do, how do you want someone to deal with you? There are times, folks, remember, love covers a multitude of transgressions. There are times, if you get married, your, your spouse is going to be a sinner. And if you're going to get along, you're going to have to be very merciful and long-suffering. And by the way, so are they. Right? goes both ways. So next week, we're going to talk more about this idea of covering sin. Is it a compromise or, a, or is it compassion? And it's important that we understand the context. Where you and I need to demonstrate love, may it be found in us big time. Where you and I need to confront sin lovingly, may it be done properly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we want to honor you. We're so thankful your word does not contradict. We're so thankful that the more we study the scriptures, the more we realize it is your revelation to us. And that the problem is not with you or your word, but it is with us and our understanding. And so, Father, help us to be lovers of our Savior, most importantly. Help us to love the living word. uh, And then help us, Father, to know his written word so that we might have a deeper, stronger love for the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, perhaps there are some folks today hearing this that have not been born again. And Father, I pray that it would be a concern to them that they would want their sins not just covered but washed completely. I pray today they would seek someone out, seek myself out, seek one of the leaders of the church so that they can find out And leave here knowing that their sins are blotted out. Their sins are washed and removed as far as the east is from the west. Father, we praise you that our sin has been cleansed. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.